Good morning. Hey, I want to I want to welcome you here this morning as well to Grace Point Church. My name is Tim Rogers. I'm one of the pastors here, along with uh, Joel Buffington, who's already put his greeting out there to you. I'm just really grateful to see y'all, and uh, we're honored to have you with us this morning. We hope, as we do every time that we meet together, that you're encouraged, that you're refreshed, that your heart is renewed and challenged as we spend time together here in the Word of God and singing and giving and and, and what we do. Um, Before I start this morning, I want to acknowledge some uh, unique people here, some of which may have just run out, but I, I don't think so. Hey, tomorrow morning, Oh, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow night um, at Keystone Church, we're having a baptism event between Grace Point Church and Keystone Church. Some of you may or may not know that. A lot of times we do baptisms right here on a Sunday morning or during the Sunday school hour if there's more um, who are getting baptized. But tomorrow night, um, I know some of you can't be there, so I want to acknowledge that here this morning, that baptism for us is such a huge deal. It is such a big deal for our, our students, for our young adults, for our adults who get baptized because it's this public profession that yes, I really believe, I really believe, and I want to follow Jesus with my life. So it's one of the biggest, uh, most formative times in your life to make that profession and stand there and say, yes, I am going to be identified with Jesus in baptism. So tomorrow night, that's going to happen. So I want to have a chance to celebrate that with you this morning, okay? So if you're getting baptized tomorrow night, um, could you do us a favor and could you stand right now so we can see you? And I'm going to point you out before everybody responds. Let's stand. I'm going to identify you first, okay? All right, let's go to the back here. Kind of swirl your head, put your head on a swivel. Christina Seifert is back here. Christina, great to see you. She's getting baptized tomorrow. Awesome. Right up here, Trevor, you're getting baptized tomorrow. Over here, we got to my, your far right, Gabby in the white. Gabby Lehman is getting baptized tomorrow night. Who are you? My daughter, Megan, is getting baptized tomorrow night as well. She's right up here. And before you all sit down, and two more, Brisa Yoder. I don't think she's, she's downstairs. She's downstairs. She's getting baptized tomorrow. See her, um, hug her, give her five, do something, and she's like, what's wrong with you guys? You're getting baptized tomorrow. And my other daughter, Liana Rogers, she's downstairs too, getting, uh, getting, getting baptized. And I think, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, is, and Jenna, where is Jenna? Not here. She's not here. Okay, so Jenna is getting baptized. Jenna Stoltzfus, mom and dad are over there. See mom and dad, give them a hard time this morning, okay? So anyway, guys, we're really excited. We're looking forward to this tomorrow night. So thank you very much. We appreciate that. Great stuff, great stuff. We're really excited about that. If you can make it and come and celebrate that event with us tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Keystone Church right down the road. We'd be glad to have you there, okay? Um, cool. You have, you have come and you have found us here at Grace Point in um, a time when we are just the second part into a, a four-part Advent series at Christmas time called Unwrapping Christmas. And what we believe is that as we get into the Christmas season, that there is more in the box than what we often think there is. And my hope for you, I tried to say it last week, my hope for you as you kind of come to this series is this, very simple, that we can give you just a little bit of courage to live. Simple as that. That we can give you a little bit, people call it encouragement. I call it, you can just kind of give somebody a little bit of courage because you're, you're coming. If you're, anything, if, you're, if you're anything like everyone else around you, there's fears, anxieties, worries, great unknowns in your life that may or may not be verbalized, even joys that you're looking forward to that you wonder, how is that going to work out? And our hope is every time, and especially in this series, especially in this Christmas series, that we can give you just a little bit of courage this morning. 
to live in a way that's a little more fearless this week. Okay? That's my hope. Uh, to begin that, I want to tell you about a time in my life that many of you don't know about. Um, it was about almost 20 years ago now, and I found myself in Los Angeles in the middle of the NBA Finals between, at that time it was the Chicago Bulls and the Los Angeles Lakers. And it was an amazing time for me because the city of Los Angeles was so worked up uh, over this event. Michael Jordan and his team were coming to town, and, and the Lakers had Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Byron Scott, all these great players, and the Bulls with Scottie Pippen, and I think John Paxson was on the team, this, the only guy who could shoot from the outside, and Jordan, of course, uh, did his thing. And I had this opportunity um, to actually to be a part of one of the finals games. Many of you don't know that. So here I was, a kid, and the amazing thing happened to me. I'm in the uh, Staples Center now, they call it, 25,000 people around in one of the finals games. And uh, the crowd is roaring and roaring and roaring. And they sub out Jordan for me. I get in the game. And it comes down, as you can imagine, it comes down to that last second shot. And, and Pippen throws me the ball, and I, I grab it, and I do the turnaround over over the reaching Byron Scott with a follow through and nothing but the bottom of the net and the crowd goes silent because they're playing in LA and they hate it and we win, we run off the court cheering and it was awesome and I loved it, it was an incredible experience. Now, if, if you happen to be watching that, it may have looked like I was in Barbados in my garage with clotheslines it for baskets. It, it may have looked like I was only, you know, 10 or 12, and it may have looked like I just had a little ball in my hands, and it may have looked like I didn't even actually have a basketball hoop. It just was a bunch of really clotheslines in the garage. And where they met, as they started out there, and the clotheslines met um, to right over here, that there was a, enough of a room there that I thought that could be my hoop. And so I would go out and I would play a lot. And in Barbados, they only had one television channel, and the lady who got it, <laughs> would record the games for me from the United States. And so I would watch these basketball games between the Lakers and the Bulls, and they, were, they inspired me to play basketball. I didn't have any idea how to play. And so this is what I would do. I'd go out in my little, it's kind of rough to call it a garage, but kind of a portico where the car would be parked, and I would play, and I would play and play, and I'd just shoot this ball, sometimes just a bag, a, a bunch of bags of plastic bags kind of balled up together would use sometimes, and, and shoot it through the clotheslines, and it could be any moment. And, and it, that was one of the moments that I had in the garage. It was, it was really incredible. Now, here's the thing. We all have moments like that where we kind of we think things should work out a certain way, right? We kind of have this vision in mind that wouldn't this be awesome if this happened? And you, you play it out. Like, wouldn't it be awesome? I, I also had a dream, you should know, of winning an Olympic gold medal. Uh, you guys are laughing at me this morning. Come on now. Give me a break. But I had that dream, and, and we could watch the Olympics again, kind of on tape delay from this lady who would record the international satellite channels. That she would she'd get three international satellite channels for a hundred and some dollars a month. And uh, then she would record stuff from me. Who I just love to watch that over and over again. So I have this dream, this vision of this, and, and what happens is, and you can imagine this because you've been there as a kid or maybe even now in your life, you're like, wouldn't it be cool if this could happen? And you have, you think about a scenario and kind of imagine what it would be like to feel that and to live that, 
to dream that. For some of you, it's wouldn't it be awesome if I could date that person? <laughs> that would be so cool if they would notice me. I mean, that would, that, would, that would do it for me right now. Or if I could get married at all, or I could get married to that person. Wow, that's kind of my, right now, that's my thing that I'm, that I'm looking for. Some of you are into business now, and you're thinking, man, if, if I had the reins of the company, okay, if I made the choices, if I had the purse strings here, if I could do it my way, I'm envisioning something very different than what's happening right now, and if only I could, then this would happen. It would be very different. Some of you are, are married, and you're thinking, this is the kind of marriage I'd love to have. I'd love to be able to do this in my marriage. I'd love to have this kind of intimacy, and you kind of walk into it thinking, this is what it'll be like. And this morning, I want to talk about a hope and a dream that we all have that we don't always verbalize. No matter where you come from, I believe, no matter where you come from, no matter even as you walk in here this morning or you're listening online to this, no matter, no matter where you are at, there is something within you that wants to have peace with God. Whatever you define God as, even if you don't call it the God of the Bible like I will or like many here will, whatever you call that, there is something within you that wants a place of fulfillment, that wants a place of peace, that wants a place where you can rest and be yourself in the middle of this world. And I can't tell you how many times that I have wished I've said, God, okay, if, if you could only come down from heaven and give me an idea of what to do here, that would be awesome. You ever been there? If only you could, I could just hear a voice from heaven just kind of tell me what to do, that would be incredible. Do you ever feel that? I just wish, I just wish that God could speak into my life on this thing. I don't need the whole world. I don't even need a pot of gold at the end of, end of the rainbow. I just need to know, God, am I even doing the right thing? Am I even in the right place? Where do I go now? Because I'm stuck. If only I could hear something from God. If only I could have peace within the world which I live. And as we unwrap Christmas, okay, we unwrap the Christmas message, this very thing happened. God came to speak to a person, to a young girl, maybe, maybe 13 years old, he sent a messenger to Mary to give her a really unique message. And Mary's response to this reveals to us something about the human heart that I want to discuss, process, engage with you this morning. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 28 to 33. Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 33. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you in the pew around you. Uh, the red Bible in there, if you find that Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you today. You can take that home with you. You can read that and find the life of God within those pages. Luke chapter 1. Uh, if you are looking in your pew Bible, you can kind of flip almost two-thirds of the way into that Bible. 
In the New Testament, you will find Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 33. I need your uh, um, cooperation with this, okay? You're going to be tempted. Before you start reading, stop reading. Before you start reading, I need you just to do this, okay? I need you just to read along with me and don't cheat. Okay? Don't go further than me, all right? Some of you already are right now. You really have. A bunch of cheaters. Just, just go with me where, where I stop. We're only going to read verse 28 to start. Don't go any further. You guys are so ready to go further. Okay. The angel went to her. We're talking now about Gabriel because Gabriel was with Zechariah and several months later now, he comes to her, the angel Gabriel, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Stop. Stop. A bunch of you did not stop. Come on, guys. Stop. Okay. Check out the message. Check out that message. Think about this for a minute. Okay. An angel of God. Imagine if you're Mary. An, an angel, an angel has come to you specifically and spoken to you. You are highly favored. The Lord is what? The Lord is what? With you. The Lord is with you. You are, you are highly, imagine this, imagine that. God says to you, you're good. You're good. Be at peace. You're highly favored. And don't forget, the Lord is with you. He's, he's with you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a voice from God? I mean, all the times you've wanted to hear, God, am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right place? What should I do? Where should I go? Can you imagine if God were to send an angel to you and say, listen, relax. You're good. <laughs> you, are, you are highly favored. If the angel doesn't come and tell you what you already know. You're a bad person. You sinned here. You cut it short there. You were impatient. You cut somebody off in traffic. You cursed in your car where nobody knew it. You wish your husband were different, your spouse were different. You kinda, you're cheating at work and everyone knows that, but you. They're not coming to say that. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. What a comforting message, right? What, a, what an incredible message. What an incredible message of peace and calm that would bring to anyone's heart, right? Except for those of you who read verse 29. Bunch of cheaters. What does that say next? Check it out. Verse 29. Mary was greatly what? Troubled. Really? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Really, Mary? Mary was greatly troubled because the angel said, you're favored and God is with you. What? I mean, of all the times in life when I wish I would have known that God was with me, he now sends an angel and the angel says, listen, you're highly favored. I'm, God is with you. And Mary's response is to freak out. Greatly troubled. In the Greek, that means greatly troubled. 
this great amount of anxiety. It just means that she is worked up and worked over. She is heavily, heavily stressed at the moment. She is greatly troubled. And she wonders what kind of message this might be. Well, I wonder, Mary, what do you think it is? It's like, I'm with you, right? You're highly favored. And so I'm thinking, why? Why, why? Why in the world would someone who, who grew up in a Jewish home, who would know the Torah or the Old Testament law, and who would, who would understand that God sometimes works in this way, why would someone whom God is choosing to use as the messenger, the vehicle to bring the Messiah into the world, why would somebody like that have such a reaction to something that's so good? You're favored, the Lord is with you. Why am I greatly troubled at this? And so I began to think this way. And I think there's some truth to this, but I think it goes deeper. My first thought was this. That we like God in the heavens, but we don't like God on earth. Like we, we're, we're good with God being God out there and you kind of just oversee everything and just remind me that you're in charge. But when you come and mess with life here, that's overwhelming and that troubles me. Troubled to have God too close. I think that's part of it. But I began to look deeper at what's happening in the bigger picture of Scripture with the messengers of God coming to speak to people. And I want to share with you some things that I found because I find it very intriguing and very helpful, I think, for how we see this. Because God sends messengers not just to Mary, but to many other people in the scriptures. And I want to highlight a few of them for you because it helps us see who we are. The first person I want to talk about is Gideon. There's this guy named Gideon in the Old Testament. Uh, for some of you who know him, you, you know his story. Those of you who don't, the brief skinny on Gideon. He was a, a, a young man growing up in a tribe of Israel and his tribe, Manasseh, he was the weakest of that tribe, 12 tribes in Israel, by the way. Um, so his tribe was the weakest, and he was one of the weakest in the tribe. And they were just being dominated by the Midianites. The Midianites were a raiding party that would come in and, and wipe out their land, and they didn't have anything. And so they were just kind of getting abused by the Midianites for a long time. And finally, an angel comes to Gideon. And in this case, the angel shows up, and Gideon doesn't know it's an angel. And the angel's like, hey, Gideon, I want you to go take care of the Midianites. Ha, yeah, right. So... Gideon was like, okay, um, I need a sign that this is really real because I'm not going to stick my neck out there and get, have that cut off unless I know this is, this is from the Lord. So the angel was like, fine, go ahead. And so Gideon's sign is, let me go make some soup, salad, and breadsticks and bring it back for you. Uh, it was actually, let me go make a goat, right? He was, he's going to go prepare a goat, uh, unleavened bread, and some broth and bring that back to you. And then I can worship here. This was his sign. And so the angel said, okay, fine, go, go do your thing. That took more than five minutes to get all that stuff ready. So Gideon goes inside and gets it all ready, and he comes back out to the angel who's waiting here, lays it before him, and boom! The angel, it gets consumed by fire. Isn't that awesome? You like that? Boom, I should do that again. Boom! It gets, it gets absolutely zapped by fire. It gets toasted right there, and it's gone, and then the angel disappears. And then Gideon says, man, I've seen an angel. Surely I'm going to die. At which then the Lord says, be at peace. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Okay, do not be afraid. Gideon's initial reaction to the messenger, I'm, I'm going to die. A man who ends up being a warrior for Israel, 
in fear. This is Gideon's reaction. Go over to the book of Daniel, not, not in your Bible now, but in your, your mind. Daniel, a young man who actually is kidnapped uh, from his home, and he's taken out, and uh, he, uh, becomes, he grows up uh, in, a, in a nation that's not his own. And uh, he ends up becoming known as a great man of integrity. In fact, many young boys named Dan or Daniel, uh, even today, uh, because of Daniel's legacy and his history. When we think of Daniel, think of Daniel in the lion's den, think of flannel graph, think of something like that from Sunday school. Daniel's a strong man, and he stood up to the, the king, and he said, King, I know that you're feeding us all this good stuff, but listen, I want you to know I want vegetables. He doesn't make my hero list for that move, but nonetheless, he's strong in his convictions. So Daniel, Daniel, incredibly um, godly man, an incredible man of integrity and character and strength to go through what he went through. In Daniel chapter 10, we read an account of Daniel having a vision. And he sees a man, he's standing, actually physically now, standing and looking over the Tigris River. And they're actually real live people with him. And Daniel sees something in Daniel chapter 10 that the others around him don't see. He sees a, a, a man who is dressed as a soldier. It says that his eyes are like lightning, and his, um, his eyes like flames, and his, his uh, face like lightning. An incredibly powerful depiction the power of God in this angel, in this messenger. And even though the people around him couldn't see the angel, the people around him fled. That's amazing. The people around him couldn't see the vision, but there was enough of a presence of power there that the people around Daniel fled. And Daniel, this man of great strength and character and integrity, is brought, as the, the text of Scripture tells us, is brought to his knees. He's down on his hands and knees, face to the ground, trembling, before the power of this messenger. And the messenger comes to him and lays his hand on him and brings him up and he says, Daniel, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Daniel, of all that you bring to the table, don't be afraid. There's another appearance, this time to people who don't claim to follow Yahweh. Now into the same book you're in, in Luke chapter 2. Where, not, excuse me, not Luke chapter 2, we're in Matthew 28 now. You don't need to turn there again, but uh, Matthew 28. This is now the resurrection of Jesus. There's angels that, an angel that comes to roll away the tombstone at, at where Jesus is buried. And the angel comes, and the picture in Matthew is almost like the angel sitting on the top of this uh, stone with his legs crossed casually, but emanating such a strong presence that the Roman soldiers who were there, who had, if you know anything about the Roman soldiers, you know this, that if they don't guard this tomb, they die. It's as simple as that. If they don't protect the entrance of this tomb, it's a death sentence. They are frozen with fear. They are, as Matthew says, they are shuddering like dead men unable to save their own lives because of the power of the angel. And then the women come to the tomb and the angel says, now our line says, do not be what? Afraid. Do not be afraid. Two more for you. The shepherds, this is now Luke chapter 2. You remember the story of the shepherds? The angel came to the shepherds out in the field watching their flocks by night and the shepherds were terrified. These are 
blue-collar men. These are men who live off the land. They've, they've taken care of lions and tigers and bears, right? They've taken care of all of this stuff, and they're out there. They're, they're living off the land, finding their way without GPS and, you know, killing stuff and eating stuff and skinning stuff and all the stuff that they do, right? And the angel comes, and they are terrifying. The angel says, do not be afraid. And then one last one, Zechariah. A man who, just in the early chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 1, a godly man, a man who is close to God, a priest, who brings people to God. When Gabriel, the same Gabriel who came to Mary, comes to Zechariah, when he comes into the temple, he is gripped with fear. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. And so as I look at how not only Gabriel, but messengers of God have interacted with people throughout the scriptures. It is no wonder, it is no wonder that Gabriel says the same thing in verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be, what? Afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. That Mary's reaction as a 13-year-old girl is the same that these great men have had throughout history. That an interaction with only, only a messenger of God brings such fear and trembling to humanity that even though the original statement from Gabriel is, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you, a very positive and warm welcome. It is so overshadowed by the great power of Gabriel that you can't hear anything Gabriel says. All you can do is, like Daniel, get down on your hands and knees and your face to the ground and tremble. It brings grown men to their knees. It brings soldiers to the point of, of fear and being struck almost as if they are dead. And it brings Mary, this little 13-year-old, to say, to feel, as, as Luke writes, greatly troubled and wondered what kind of message this would be. Like, okay, God, I said I really wanted to hear from you, but I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. Please don't do this. This great fear. Even just from a messenger of God. Not even from God himself, right? Just from a messenger. Imagine if God showed up. Right? Because he does. And here's what Gabriel then says to Mary. Verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be what? He will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And his kingdom will never end. And everything that Mary is hearing, she is running through the grid of a 13-year-old brain that has heard from a long time when she's been going to the temple. Her, her parents have been teaching her the Old Testament law. She's been hearing about David. She's been hearing about Abraham. She's been hearing about Moses. She's been hearing about Jacob. 
And she knows, because she knows that the Old Testament Israelites, they related to God through the covenant with Abraham. That's how they related to him. And then that, that covenant kind of turned into a covenant with Moses to God. And then that covenant essentially kind of turned into the Davidic covenant. And in that covenant, in that way of relating to God, God told the Israelites, David's throne, so there'll be someone who sits on this throne and that reign will never end. And Mary is hearing this and thinking, whoa, I think, I think that something really big is happening. He will be great. He will be the son of the most high, which is the same language used in the Old Testament to speak of God himself, the most high. And so Mary is hearing this, this great presence of Gabriel, even though the greeting is warm and very comforting in words only. The power is so incredible that she's greatly troubled and the message is so strong. You're going to give birth to a son, his name will be Jesus, and he will be great. Be the son of the Most High. All the promises of Israel will be captured within the life of Jesus and his kingdom will never, ever end. It will never end. And so, You look at this little baby, Jesus, who is born at this Christmas season. And we look at one of the messengers of his did. Scared the living daylights out of a 13-year-old girl. And yet we look at a Jesus in a manger. And we look at a Jesus who's tame. We look at a Jesus who's controllable. We look at a Jesus who's safe who doesn't really demand much from us. We, we look at a Jesus who we can kind of follow except when it's not comfortable. Who's kind of cool but may not be great. Who's kind of interesting to talk about but may not be interesting to follow to that degree. And what Jesus is not is tame. What Jesus is not is domesticated. And what Jesus is not is controllable. And what Jesus is, even this baby Jesus, is great, is the king forever. Wrapped up, yes, in little swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a picture not of weakness, but a picture of humble strength in service. And so I have two questions for us this morning in the so what category. Number one, as I unwrap Christmas this year, how am I seeing the greatness of God during this Christmas season? How am I seeing the greatness of God during this Christmas season? Can you imagine what it would be like to turn on the radio for the Christmas songs that you want to listen to, or if you're the Grinch, turn the radio on for the stations that don't play the Christmas music you don't want to listen to. But can you imagine that you happen to hear the Christmas songs, and the Christmas songs 
instead of evaluating them based on uh, they're, they're old, they're new, they're interesting, they're not interesting, it's fun, I like to sing that, can you imagine, can you imagine what it would be like if after the song is over, it goes back to the DJ, and you can hear the sniffles in the DJ because this message of the greatness of Jesus has brought them to their knees in the studio. Imagine that. Me neither. Because Jesus is too tame, and too marketed, and too domesticated. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like at Christmas time to see within your family very, very, very difficult decisions being made within marriages, families, work issues, children issues, because you're reflecting not on a domesticated Jesus who has no claim on my life, but on a risen king who reigns forever, who has every claim on my life. One idea for you, practical suggestion, this Christmas season. Take this passage alone, Luke 1, 28-33, with your family. And in addition to the Christmas story, or maybe at the very beginning, read this passage again with your family, by yourself. And ask this question. How is the greatness of God, how am I seeing the greatness of God during this Christmas season? My second question for us is this. If Jesus is this great, in what part of my life is it okay to be an average follower? Let me unpack that a little bit. If Jesus is this great, in what part of my life is it okay to be an average follower? Okay. In other words, yeah, Jesus, you're great. <clears throat> you're great in the future, forever, but not right now. Um, you don't know. You don't know the condition of my marriage. You, you don't know how hard this is. You, you don't know. I mean, I know in Ephesians 5, you talk about husbands loving their wives sacrificially and wives submitting to and respecting and honoring their husband, but you, don't, you never married to my husband. You haven't been married to my wife. You, you know, I'm just going to kind of, kind of keep it average because I don't know anybody who does that. And if, if Jesus is great, how average can we be when we're walking the halls of school? my faith and commitment to Jesus. Yeah, I mean, no one, everybody laughs at those jokes. I mean, come on, no one stands up like that. No one puts the flag down and plants it there and says, I won't go past that line. No one does that anymore. Are you kidding? Who does that? I mean, at work, come on now. I mean, everybody comes in just a little late. I mean, everybody's kind of talking about the boss, and no one really kind of follows that integrity thing like that. I mean, really, it's just kind of the way the culture is, and we all laugh it off. No one is really that strong about honoring and respecting our boss. I mean, really? I know we're supposed to work to the Lord, but really, does that really mean work to the Lord? I mean, everybody does it. It's just kind of the way it is. And I'm just asking the question, if Jesus is this great, if he's the king of kings and he reigns on the throne forever then in what part of my life is it okay? Is he cool with me being average? 
And what part of my life is he going to say, you know, that's fine, that's fine. It, it was fine, you didn't really need to be married like that, and you really didn't need to work like that, and you really didn't need to pray like that. I mean, I was, I was just I was kidding about all that. I mean, I'm great, but I'm not that great, right? So here's the thing. If just the messenger of God can strike such fear in the lives of people, what in the world do we think this little Jesus can do? Who will be great is the son of the Most High and will reign forever. Because Jesus is great, it means this, that our obedience to him needs to be equally as great. Right? And that means that the fear in your life for doing the great things has to be diminished. Because what you're going to fight against and what I'm going to fight against is the fear of wanting to obey that much. The fear of wanting to love that much. The fear of what, nobody does that. What if I'm the only one who does that? Is Jesus great or not? Because Jesus is great, my obedience and love for him has to be equally as great. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Can you imagine what it would be like to hit the game-winning shot in the Staples Arena after Scottie Pippen passes you the ball? Take that fadeaway jumper and the crowd exits in disgust because of what just happened. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to be visited by God? God, I wish you could tell me that things were okay. I wish you could come speak to me here. I wish you could tell me what to do. And then he does. And we're terrified. Terrified. Because he is so great. And his greatness, his greatness demands our great obedience and our great love. Emmanuel, God is with us. The power of God through Jesus is here at Christmas time. Let's pray together. Our Father, our good and loving and powerful Father, we thank you for the simple yet profound reminders of your greatness in the midst of our mundaneness. And I, and I pray for us, Father, that you would give us courage and fearlessness to fight, to outwork to outwork the humdrum of the mundane in our lives, to, out, to outwork the slow process of becoming comfortable with average obedience, becoming comfortable with average in following you, because no one else does it like that. We believe that because you are great, that our obedience to you needs to be equally as great. And yet, and yet, and yet, we're so unable to do that on our own. We will fail all the time. 
And so give us courage where we have failed. Give us strength where we feel very weak. Give us wisdom where we don't know what to do. And give us friendships that we, whom we are open with to help us walk in areas that we are afraid to walk in. Because it takes courage that we have never had. And I pray for those here this morning who especially are looking at things that just seem too big and too high and too heavy to move and I've, I've tried it and it hasn't worked and I've been there, it doesn't work and I can't, there's no way to get over that. That you would help us again, particularly those people this morning who are looking at that to be reminded even of the power and strength of this song that you, how great you are. How great thou art. Then we think of all the things that you've created. That your greatness is so compelling a motivation. Draw us out of our fear and draw us into your love, your obedience, and your mercy to be more than we could be on our own. Give us great courage to obey you greatly, we pray. In Jesus' name.